Okay, guys, not sure what the heaven is going on, but for the first 10-ish minutes of our guest, we still have audio drift, and then it just weirdly goes away. So for just a little bit, it sounds like we talk over each other and laugh out of place. So before we officially get the show started and apologize, I'm going to apologize. Thanks. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Byron, are you ready yes. to apologize? Uh, I don't know what we're apologizing for. <laughs> so it's a general... I'm super sorry, though. I, yeah. I really am. I just don't know why. I'm sure. We're just, we have to you know, keep the status quo for our episodes. We have to apologize at the beginning of every episode. Well, we can't apologize for... I mean, you already did, but like the last episode we put out with Alex was just rough to listen to. Absolutely. We had some technical difficulties. It wasn't our fault, but, you know, it happens, unfortunately. So that was a little rough towards the end to listen to. It was. We, kind we're of, sorry about that. It was kind of fun uh, recording because there's actually a whole lot of gems where Alex said a lot of stuff that we would have had to apologize for, and it That's didn't true. make the cut. Well, that's so right. A, we did miss out on a couple of those things, didn't we? Yeah, so in a weird way, it's like a sorry <laughs> on top of a sorry. Sorry that we couldn't say sorry about things that our guest said. But yeah, if you didn't know, we actually record on, on smartphones through apps. And sometimes there's a little bit of headache that comes with that because it's kind of a newer technology. And uh, it's not necessarily like a beta thing or anything, but there's just a lot that's still being developed to make this uh, possible uh, and easy for, for me and Byron to record on since we're in different states. Yeah. Sorry about that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. With that, that being said, with that being said, we're actually going to use the sponsorship of the app right now. Let's go. Sponsor time. I mean, I know I sound like I hate life in that promo thing, <laughs> but, but, but truthfully, I actually do like this service. I mean, if, if, uh, if any Anchor representatives are ever listening, I actually really do like the service Anchor, uh, but it comes with the learning It's curve. worked for us. Yeah. It's just not perfect by any means, but it's worked pretty well for us for being in mo- multiple states, usually every week we record, it's almost always three different states that we have people in. So, you know, it works for us. Yeah, and I think it's great because we have tried different uh, recording options and none of them are really great because either they all require everyone to have the same computer, or the same type of computer or, um, you know, some sort of desktop thing or or whatever. This is the only option we found where you can just do it with a smartphone and Pretty much everybody we have recorded or would record seems to have a, a smartphone, so it's pretty great. Anyways, if you're new to the episode, we we talk about stuff that, that has to do with faith and culture, and we do it as millennials because we can't help the whole fact that we are millennials. And we oftentimes bring guests on the show because we kind of think it's important to share some of these stories. We we love the stories that we have the opportunity to share we have shared, I think we have, this is episode 18 now, Byron. So we have shared 17 episodes. So that technically means we have shared 16 other stories besides our own on That's this podcast. Awesome. Yeah. 
and they've gotten a lot of good feedback. We actually need to give one shout out before we get to this, because apparently, especially on the recent episode, the last two episodes, we got some, some love. We actually have someone that is uh, sponsoring the podcast in a private way. I don't know how else to say that. Like, they're giving us so <laughs> a certain amount of money per episode, correct? It's a monthly thing, actually. So oh, monthly? Okay. It's like it's it's like a Patreon sort of a format where you can oh. support this podcast by giving monthly to it. Honestly, I forgot that was a thing, but that's yet again another kudos to Anchor. I guess there's the option if you go to our Anchor page, you can support us so that we can continue pumping out this really professional level podcast <laughs> stuff. So if you want to keep listening to two idiots like us, you can give us money. Or if you'd rather just hear the guests like the or, one we yeah, have on the show. Legitimately, like we do try to have other people on. That, that's more important than us. So we actually are are so putting good. in the description the time in the timestamp of when these guests really start sharing their story and when we interview them. So today's guest is is another well, maybe, maybe a millennial, but another reason that's that's worth listening to. So Colin, can you hear us? Are you with us? What about you? <laughs> okay, you speak with your normal accent. That's the southern accent, right? I was being educated this morning on this. I, I, I'm told pretty regularly in my context that I don't have an accent anymore. So, and yet sometimes I'll go place, places and people will say, oh, where are you from? Uh, so I can't decide. Is it just that people have more <laughs> wax in their ears than others? Or is it that I sound different depending I think on where if I you're, am? I, I think know. if you're kind of like the normalized... Uh, so, for instance, if people are, are going to your church and hearing you preach, the way you speak has just become normalized. But, uh-huh. I mean, if you're – because I think you told me this. Yeah. You were at a Starbucks and someone's like, oh, you're not from around here, right? Like That that was, that was – I mean, I, I definitely yeah. hear an accent. Yeah, he was surprised. If you didn't tell me where it's from, I don't know if I would have placed it. It's not like what you I mean, started the – it's, it's not it's, like what yeah, you started yeah. off with. It's not the one you hear on movie, like, made fun right. of in um, American culture. Like, you know what I mean? Like, for other places I'm too. I'm yeah, like it's not yeah. like the the lucky lucky farm <laughs> yeah. leprechaun kind of stuff. Pot of gold, Rocky Way. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to really try hard for that one. But uh, honestly, that the number one guess uh, that I've received is that I'm from really? Canada. A really Canada? Is it because you're like Australia, apologizing a lot or something? Because that's the uh, can- Canadian stereotype. I, I, <laughs> m- maybe, maybe you know, being yeah, I. I Sometimes I think that I am like the, the epitome of an oxymoron myself because I'm not a British American citizen. So that that has a lot of tension in it right there, mm. British American. Um, I'm not quite mm. sure how to explain it. Cause you, so, so your name's Colin Duffy <laughs> yeah. and uh, you're, you're currently living yes. in Western Washington. I am, but don't Google my name because you'll oh, find no. an IRA. Are you telling. kidding? <laughs> oh, my Lanta. I'm that... not kidding. You won't you won't see me until about oh, the third Lanta. page of Google. Results. But you have dual citizenship, right? That's correct. Yes, I, I married a California girl almost 11 years ago, 11 years ago next month. So that's how I, I got my green card and all that good stuff and went through citizenship. And so and this is my favorite question for you, Colin, because yeah. I feel like we're living weird parallel lives mm-hmm. right now. You have a fourth kid on the way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, uh, you know, honestly, uh, I won't get emotional, but last Friday uh, we went, because my wife is what they're labeling as, labels are terrible, uh, advanced <laughs> maternal uh, age. Um, she's had like way, way more ultrasounds this time. And so we had one at 33 weeks last Friday. 
Um, our daughter was blowing oh, bubbles awesome. in the womb. Um, God is awesome. Like I, I as a creator, I, I can't. My That's mind was just blown cool. last Friday. Yeah, yeah. So May thirty first, uh, we've got our third daughter coming. Uh, yeah, so my son, my third so. son is coming, and I have a daughter, so we have like the inverse of each other. Uh, <laughs> also in May, my wife yeah. she doesn't have the advanced maternal. Well, she kind of almost no, not quite. But she has other issues, namely um, her husband is the size of me and she is the size of her. And uh, <laughs> if you were to meet my wife, you would understand. I, I'm i substantially larger than yeah. her, which means I have to apologize to her often, especially in the third trimester when she is just done. But uh, but I love what you said, that mm-hmm. labels are terrible, because that's kind of the gist of this next thing that we're going to do with you, Colin. Because you're, you're how old? I am 37. So you were born in 81, yeah. did you say? Correct. Yes, that was the year that Princess Diana and Prince wow. Charles got married, I believe. Very special Yeah, year. especially for Americans yeah. who seemingly, for some reason, <laughs> love that stuff. I don't get it. But they, they it. So I don't get it either. So, so according to Pew, Pew Research, you're, you're uh, a little too old to be a millennial, but according to Barna, you might, I don't know, it, people argue all the time, you could be an ex you could be a millennial, but we're going to put that to the test because we like to, to deal with those labels and those stereotypes head on with a fun game called, How Millennial Are You? Oh, well, hold on, before we get to this first question, let's mm. just be super clear, we know where you are now, um, but where were you born? I was born in Lisburn, Northern Ireland, which is 11 miles inland okay. from Belfast. Yeah, I know, we, we poked fun at it yeah. and we, you know... But I just want to be very clear because his first question, I want decide to read it the way he wrote it in this thing. That's, that's perfect because uh, it actually addresses some of these potential does have a, yeah. international ramifications. So, well, and one more question before we play, how millennial are you? Uh, when did you actually come over to the United States? How long were you uh, in Northern Ireland or in the UK? Um, I actually haven't lived in Northern Ireland since August of 2004. When I uh, quit my engineering job with Caterpillar and moved to Manchester to begin a uh, uh, theology and pastoral studies degree at Nazarene Theological College. So then I was in Manchester for four years, uh, met Corey during what would be my junior year at a conference in South Africa. And then we got married uh, two weeks after my finals in 08. And... Five days later, we were interviewing in San Luis Obispo at the Nazarene Church there for the Man. pastor position. So it was kind of a it was Which a whirlwind. It's a small Nazarene world because mm-hmm. so, a couple guests yeah. ago we have the current slow Naz youth pastor Mo, who is not it's not mm-hmm. arguable. It's just factually he is the most millennial guest we have had on the show. So he answered, but every also in a, not necessarily in our age group though. But he every right. question that was the gauge to see how millennial he was was a yes. So he was ten for ten. Uh, arguably 11 for 11 because wow. we had like a two-part question but anyways we're gonna we're gonna wow. play this game how millennial <laughs> are you and we're gonna see if there's any sort of international uh implications as well so are you ready let's play sure. how millennial are you all right question one colin curious about the international legitimacy of this so how many participation trophies did you quote unquote win growing up Oh, um, it's not a, the only, the only, there's two arenas where I would have gotten participation recognition. One was in real football, (laughs) you know, as soccer. Um, As opposed to fake. In fact, I remember the one trophy. 
Right. Big football with men in tights and helmets <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I remember vividly, it was in June. Every year there was a, a gala day um, in my neighborhood. Um, we had a five-a-side uh, football tournament. And I remember winning it one year. I remember getting that trophy. The only other context in which I can recall, other than school, um, getting some sort of recognition was in Caravan, which millennials, that, numerically, age-wise, and millennials might not even remember Caravan, but Caravan is the uniformed organization of the Church of the Nazarene, so like Boy Scouts or Girl Guides or whatever. Um, so we earned awards through service and through aptitude and spiritual things like memorization of scripture, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I didn't, didn't get a lot of trophies. Um, and the one thing that's always struck me about living in America is that, you know, you graduate from nappies slash diapers, you graduate <laughs> from binkies, you graduate, there's, there's like a, there's a graduation for every three months, you know, um, that's exaggerated, no. of course, but yeah, so not, I didn't get a lot. So up, well, naturally the, the, the reason we would ask that is because millennials are dubbed as the most entitled, um, so we're just trying right. to gauge if that's international, if you're also very entitled. I wouldn't, I, I mean, obviously I haven't lived back home since 04. I've been, I've visited, I haven't visited for a couple of years now, but I, I, that may have changed slightly, but I, I doubt it. I doubt it. It's just not, it's not interesting. The cultural okay. norm. So the next question, since we think you might be a millennial um, and you're not a past guest named Ryan, which we apologized to last week, so he, he's fine. Um, <laughs> how much money do you spend on beard oil? Beard oil. You know what? I I just got a. Uh, it's from a company called Fresh Beards, <laughs> and I want to say, are they in Pennsylvania no or something like that? Um, I got a little. I got a sampler, and I want to say it was about thirty six dollars. Wow! And that's the that's the only one I've bought. Um, I also got a beard butter, but I don't like it, so I haven't used it since like the third attempt. Um, so yeah, and I so I do use beard oil. Well, obviously, yeah. you're every millennial except for Ryan that's a male has a beard. So, but okay, so so can you answer the question? <laughs> uh, what is it for? Because we were kind of pondering that in a recent episode, and we, me and Byron, weren't a hundred percent because we don't use it. <laughs> um, for me, what I find is it actually makes my beard kind of shiny and look healthier. Um, I guess it's probably the equivalent of what ladies call conditioner. <laughs> I don't know. I that's the way, like when I do it, I feel like a good citizen. Like I'm taking, I'm taking care, I'm taking care of my beard. I'm I'm being a good steward of that's the beard. Amazing. You know, so that's I mean I I can't give you any medical jingle about it. I I don't know. Well, I I just I just. I think it's important to, to if, look after the If the, the first beard. question didn't make you a millennial, that second one absolutely did. So let's <laughs> let's go for number three, and then we're going to only ask you three questions because we actually have a new format for how we do this. How millennial are you? So it's it's out of three. Right. Um, third question, and this will be really fun. How long did it take you to move out of your parents' house and actually start hashtag adulting? Um, I did it without movie night. Uh. Uh, let's see. I, I have interesting fact about me. I've had a job part time or otherwise since I was. Wow. So my first job was delivering newspapers. Then I was working with a milkman and I would I would work Thursday and Friday helping him collect the payments. 
it was like the glass milk bottles, and we we drove around on an electric float. It was pretty cool, actually. What's an electric float? What does that mean? If you ever watch, um, there's a TV show called Coronation Street. It's like a soap opera, like sitcom type thing, based in Manchester. Um, You'll see one on there in the opening credits. Like, uh, it's hard to describe. It's a vehicle with four wheels. And the back end of it is all for holding the milk crates. And in the front end, there's a small little cab with no oh, door. Okay. I think I know what you're talking about. It's just like a really it. mini so flatbed truck sort of a thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we would we would ride one of those. And then Saturday mornings, I would work from 1.30 a.m. until 8.30 delivering milk. And then I had a 9.30 kickoff with my football team. So I, that's how I kind of – my teenage years started off like that. And then I got my, my first full-time, like – big person job adult job when i was 20 um i was a configuration engineer for caterpillar working with power generators and uh so from the age of 20 until 23 i was at home working full-time and paying my mother rent Mm. if you like uh and that was not something that she had to ask me to do i just say hey i i gotta pay something into the home so yeah i guess i didn't have to so so here's the interesting potentially cultural thing um, in this country, if you haven't moved out, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I would say at 18, what do you think, Byron? 18 is the age that I you're mean, supposed to I mean, 18, if you get a job or like 22 typical graduation, like if you're away at school, you can still live at your parents' house and no mm-hmm. one cares because you're getting an education. But once you right. graduate, you better be out. Like, or, or once you get an adult right. job, it's kind yeah. of expected that now you make enough money that you need to not live at home anymore. But obviously... That's, That's cultural. <laughs> That's a cultural thing here because if you go to many countries in Europe, people have multi generational homes. Like that's the norm over there. Um, you know, in, in places like yeah. Italy or you know, I don't know, maybe Spain. There's there's other places that I'm sure where Well, it's, it's just, not just Europe, it's all over the world. Yeah, but you know, he's from Europe, so that's why I was using that as an example. But uh so mm. the funny thing is if you were to say, Hey, I was adulting, but I lived at home and you were doing that here, they would say, No, you're not adulting. So it depends on which which citizenship yeah. are you claiming for this question? Because if you're an American citizen, <laughs> then this means you're you're a millennial, dude. Um, but if you're no. if you're gonna say that you're a UK <laughs> uh, citizen for this question, then I guess you're not a millennial. I don't know. I don't well, know how to. And the that fact one. that you paid I, rent, well, but you yeah. also weren't even asked to do that, because like in America, a lot of kids have overstayed their welcome <laughs> because they won't get a job. So the parents go, "Hey, get a job." pay rent or get out like it, it, that's like the last story yeah. that's like when they're like in their mid-20s like you were like hey no i have a job i need to pay to live here like i need to be helpful that's a little different that shows maturity mm-hmm. which in this country we're we're accused of not being mature in any way whatsoever so it's right. just ridiculous right. but yeah you know well the gist of the questions yeah it has I, to yeah. do with the labeling of you know not actually taking for into consideration the real actual you know, details of what's going on, the nuances, like obviously the headline of Colin's life, if we were to reduce him to a label would say millennial still lives at home. Can't seem to figure out adulting. Cause that's, that's all it is, is we're going to reduce you to a thing, a label and dismiss you instead of actually get to know your story. Cause the mantra as always labels, we label things, but people have names. So it's important for us to confront these things. Just like you said, Colin labels are terrible. But that's that's what seems mm-hmm. to happen. And we're going to reiterate that with the second part of this. How millennial are you quiz? Uh, the second section is new. 
So what happens is we're going to ask you three different questions. Each question, we're going to basically say, Colin, please tell us which one you think is real. We're going to read to you three different news headlines. One of them is a real news headline. The other two are made up news headlines, particularly about millennials or I'm going to say our generation. I'm going to count you as a millennial for this section, whether you like it or not. So uh, (laughs) feel free to tell us which one you think is the real headline and tell us why. Okay. All right. So first one. All right. Uh, Do do millennials still read is the first headline. The second one is why millennials ruin dating or how millennials will kill the presidency. Uh, That's because we're old enough to run for president now. So. So, yeah, which one of those do you think is real? Oh, it's not the reading one. Why not? What was the second one? What was the second one again? Why Millennials Ruined Dating. I think I would choose that one. Okay, why, why, why do you think it's that one? I will tell you for why. <laughs> because, Learn us. Because dating is really hard to do when what you're essentially doing on a date is dating your phone. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it doesn't take much observation to see this. And I can see how society could very quickly and easily point to the millennials as the ones who are most exasperating the cell phone antisocial issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that happening. And, you know, even as a parent, sometimes I see it myself where, you know, I, I get caught up reading an, uh, an article or something. And, uh, I'm not going to throw my wife under the bus, but actually I will. Yeah, she does it as well. Um, <laughs> And, and your, your child is standing there asking you a question like five times, um, but you're so engrossed in what you're doing. So I, I don't know the context. If that was the real headline, uh, it would make sense to me because it sounds like it's something they're trying to blame millennials for uh, in our culture. Well, I like your explanation, but that is incorrect. The real oh. one is, do millennials still read? But wow. curiously enough, it's for the exact reasons you shared. It has everything to do with the assumption that that we're wrapped up in our own tech and it's not conducive to read a book on an iPhone. Like that's literally so it's an it's a Los Angeles Times uh, mm. headline. Do millennials still read? And it was about this person that attended a festival of book of books um, in in Los Angeles, and it was basically people were saying your generation doesn't read anymore. Millennials only care about perfect selfies. Like that was the conversation starter. <laughs> so almost for exactly uh, the same reason as you picked the second headline was the assumption about the first headline. So close. Okay. So, huh. so zero for zero in the first section, Byron, what are we going to score him? Like one and a half out of three. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, if we really keep score. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we're going to go with like what the outside world would say, then yeah, he he's, didn't leave, he didn't move out of the house when he got his first real job and he was 20. So therefore he's, he's two he's for three. A then bum. Yeah. Like, that they again, like you said, they don't really focus on the the real story. They just want to label you. So I would say, say two, two for three. three. So you're a millennial, and you're you're also misunderstanding your own uh, generation as far as the headlines are concerned. So second question, um, we'll, we'll see if you get one right. Uh, here's the three headlines. Recent poll shows millennials prefer holidays with their cats over their family. <laughs> Headline number one. Headline number two, most millennials get their news from BuzzFeed and why that's a problem. Headline number three, 
Millennials are sick of drinking, but they're not giving up booze just yet. Mm. <laughs> A lot of content to choose from in this one. I think because it matters to me so much, I would go with the BuzzFeed one. <laughs> Why does it matter to um, you so much? Because I love to watch Sky News. Oh, gotcha. Um, I love I love actually watching the news channel. I'm I'm really essentially an old man <laughs> in in a very young man's body. A very young man's um, body. <laughs> no, I, I think I think honestly, I, I again I struggle with the sweeping generalizations though. So even the like the label of millennial, I know we have to call the generation something, but there's always going to be people within that label who don't fit it. Absolutely, it's just it's just a reality. Uh, the same, it's same, it's the same as describing a congregation or describing a denomination. You can't say all Nazarenes have you know brown hair and brown eyes. Like that, that just doesn't it isn't true. Um, so I think with this, I would say that the news situation. That's more likely to be directed at millennials, yeah, because it's news channels are kind of a. I I get the impression they're an old person thing nowadays. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, and I I don't care about that. It won't stop me. I love to watch the news first thing in the morning, um, especially because they're eight hours ahead. Because Sky News is actually based in England, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I I trust them more than I trust like Fox, for instance, which isn't difficult. So. <laughs> Well, you told me once that they just actually report the news. Like, there's not pretty much there's not a bias. No, not really. So, well, I mean, I hate to be the downer for you, but you're wrong. You're wrong again. Um, It's the drinking one, isn't it? It's the drinking one. Curiously enough, and I think it has Mm -hmm. more to do with. So basically, it's it's kind of this question of: Are we going to suddenly be like? slightly more of a moderate country because millennials are being a little bit more moderate with what they do. But I think more of it has to do with the fact that millennials are in their thirties and they can't act like they're in their twenties anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but it's uh, has kids and responsibilities now. So absolutely. It's, it's from also alcohol is expensive. It's true. Dude, you either spend money on that or diapers, right? So, um, diapers are expensive too. And curiously enough though, like you were saying, uh, Colin, this whole the, where they get their news thing and, and all that jazz, like that's literally the, the all these headlines that are real are pulled from a news alert because I have created a news alert for this podcast uh-huh. to just get headlines that use the word millennial in them because of exactly what you said. Like it's right. a problem, but I want to kind of see what's happening with that problem and confront it. So, uh-huh. yeah, kudos, kudos. Kudos, but uh, you're o for you're o for two right now, Colin. So that's cool. okay. <laughs> to be fair, these are pretty tough. Like intentionally, a lot of these. So. Yeah, I mean, and we've had some help making up these fake headlines, and like, like they know they know how to make fun of real headlines that make fun of us. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it works out Absolutely. well. Absolutely, they're a prof- they they are a professional fake headline maker upper. They're basically. Yeah, they're like our behind-the-scenes producers, so shout-out to Moose for these fake headlines. Wow. All right, so here's the last set of three. So the first one is Apple versus Android. Studies show boomers' cell phone preferences largely determined by millennial children. Second one is millennials are stopped on the street to see if they can open a can of paint, and wow, (laughs) we're all doomed. (laughs) 
Sorry, that's just a weirdly weird one. So yeah, they just stop in the street to see if they can open a can of paint, and wow, we're all doomed. That's the entire title. And millennials think crowdsourcing is the best way to research. Jeez. These are all great. Uh, really good, actually. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're all great. I think. Read number one again. Apple versus Android. Studies show boomers' cell phone preference largely determined by millennial children. I think that one's true. So you I, think like the premise is true, or that's the real headline? I think. Well, I don't know if it's. I'm not going to guess the real headlines because I have to. You have to. Then I, I don't think. I don't <laughs> you're think contractually I get it, get it right. obligated. You're obligated um, to do that. Contractually, huh? Let's see. The the kind of paint one is just silly. That's not no. Um, <laughs> what was what was the third one again? Millennials <laughs> think crowdsourcing is the best way to research. So, like, hey, friends on Facebook, yeah. what do you think about this? See, that could be true as well. It's one or three. Uh, <laughs> you know what? But I want to say one because I believe that has to be – like, that's that's a reality for many people. <laughs> like, I, the, par- parents want to get a phone that they know their kids can fix when they break it. <laughs> or when they don't know how to do something. Absolutely. I, I, so, so ki- case in point, at our district assembly two weeks ago – Oh, a week mind. ago, um, they moved from a paper, uh, like a paper folder for the assembly to an app. Uh-huh. And no joke. I was one of several people asked to come and to be there to help yeah. folks. And where were you? Because I actually was too, but I was there helping folks. Well, I didn't see you there. Remember the bonnet story of our Oh, yeah. Con? Well, yeah. we call it a hood over here. But I yeah, know you do. You live, cool. in, you live in the hood. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but case in point, we had to have an Android and an Apple support team there, basically, right. to help people use the apps. Oh, so. wow. See, I, see, I think the first one, like, if, I'm a serious person most of the time, so I, the first one makes the most sense to me, but I think it could also be number three in terms of which one's a real headline. Wow. So, so the I best part I'll of say, the... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, finish. Uh, I think I would say that number three is the, the real headline, but number one is the one I like to talk about. Okay. Well, here's, so here's the thing. Number one and number three might be real, but those aren't real headlines. What? Number two is the actual <laughs> headline. I think you're not wrong. I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't say one is all thing crowdsourcing is the best way, but it's a, it's a way to start. But literally the real headline is millennials are stopped on the street to see if they can open a can of paint. And wow, first punctuation is after wow, we're all doomed. So here's the story, Colin, and what? then you can react. Here's the story. Wow. So, so Jimmy Kimmel has segments where he, he just kind of asks, can millennials do a thing? Like one time it was open a can of tuna. Um, this time he's on Hollywood Boulevard, and the segment is called, can millennials open a can of paint? And uh, it's, it's worth – we're going to put it on our, our Facebook page um, after this episode goes up on, on the now, podcast. to be fair, when they do the, the people on the street type segments – Obviously, anyone who can do it correctly or is not funny, they just cut. They never make like, it. Like, they're ne- the not going to be in the show. So, this, these are all flawed. But huh. this is, I mean, it's a media thing. So, it's not necessarily a headline, but, I mean, it's, it was put out there. And I bet you there are people who are concerned <laughs> about our generation because of it, though. I wouldn't be shocked. Absolutely. But I 100% agree with you, Colin. Like, the other two headlines, it's a trick because they're real. 
I absolutely think that that the boomer cell phone preference thing and determined by their children is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. It took me forever to not only get my dad and mom on board with iPhones, but to before even that, get them on board with texting. My dad, I kid you not, for for years was like, texting is the dumbest thing. Why wouldn't you just call a person? Mm-hmm. Now, that's all he wants to do is text. And, and I, that being said, he's a hilarious texter. He is pretty funny. He will say ridiculous <laughs> things, and he will use emojis at the right time in the right way. Yeah, like he and actually kind of laughing. gets it. It's great. He kind of gets it, which is crazy. But but they have yeah. Apple. They have iPhones because I have an iPhone, and my younger brother has an iPhone. And we and all of my brothers use iPhones, and they're all basically the IT support for my my parents. And but in the same way, yeah. the crowdsourcing thing. I mean, how many times do you see that? Like just trying to get a feedback from everybody. All the blah, time. Blah, blah blah blah. All the time. In case, in case you're wondering, when, when those come up on my Facebook, I then unfollow the person. <laughs> That's brilliant. I brilliant. don't, I don't, I just don't subscribe to such uh, activities. Well, based on our, our studies of you, Colin, um, based on section one scoring, you're a millennial, two out of three, but you obviously don't get this whole millennial headline thing. And no, even though, even though you are a millennial, um, I guess you don't fully get the stereotype, so that's fun. No, so I was, I was a bad guinea pig for that one, wasn't I? <laughs> well, you're the second guest to do this new format, and <laughs> it, it really affords us the opportunity to really talk about it more in depth, and I think that's kind of a meaningful conversations to have about this whole labeling yeah. millennials, labeling generations, because at the end of the day, the only reason it's called millennials because someone thought that was the name to, to label us because of the year 2000 and when we were born right before it and all that jazz. But it only has to do with the the years, the 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 period of time that we were born in, and you kind of on the cusp of that. So, but yeah. with that being said, Colin, would you actually round it out? Um, we don't want to reduce you to the the label millennial. We want to know a little bit more about you. Um, if you could briefly tell us what you're doing now, um, the experience you've had in ministry, and uh, just generally about your context right now. Huh. Okay. Uh, I am a pastor. I'm pastoring uh, New Hope Community Church of the Nazarene, which is located in Lakewood, just a few miles from Tacoma in Washington State. And uh, I've been here since November 1st, 2016. Uh, It is a very different place from what I've known, not only in terms of where I grew up, but also in terms of where the majority of my ministry has been. Because when I Graduated from Nazarene Theological College in Manchester in 08. I then uh, took a position as youth pastor on the L.A. district in San Luis Obispo. and was there for over four years uh, at Sloan As and really formative years for me. Uh, I, be- I learned what it was to be husband, father and uh, ordained pastor in those years. And then I moved on to San Diego. Uh, well, to, but before you go to there, obviously it's the first time you met me, so that was very formative as well. I yeah, assume, I want right? to. I want to say that was in 2011. I almost want to <laughs> call everything since then AJ after Josiah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I went down to San Diego and was youth pastor at Mission Naz for three years, and then uh, took a foray over to back over to the UK and really was there for about ten months in Jewsbury and. You know, I, I wish I could say that was wonderful. Um, it was a difficult season for me and for my family. Um, still felt somewhat productive in ministry, but really felt like a fish out of water. 
Um, Yorkshire is a very different place from Lancashire, where Manchester is located. And, of course, my family weren't, they were in Northern Ireland. So it, it was a very interesting 10 months. But I would, I would say that it was very formative for me. It was very uh, impactful in my ministry, in my philosophy of ministry, in just who I am as a person, uh, following Christ. And so then when I moved to, to Lakewood in 2016, it was a, uh, an opportunity uh, to kind of apply what I'd learned. And I'm seeing some really great things happening here. God has been on the move here in Lakewood. And um, probably my greatest passion right now, I know we'll get to it in a bit, but my greatest passion is this shift from the church being a country club with Jesus being treated as a condiment. Um, <laughs> so actually, we are, we are constantly, intentionally reaching out unashamedly with the love of Christ. Hmm. And, and even when people reject us, you know, it's a funny thing. Jesus told us that would happen. Even when they reject us, we persevere. Mm-hmm. Why? Because love always overcomes, always wins out at the end of the day. So, so to round out your yeah. context, you are currently um, a senior lead. I mean, what do you go by? Lead pastor, senior pastor? I don't like, I don't like the word senior. Uh, I, I just, the, the whole th- term senior pastor just seems wrong to me. Um, <laughs> I prefer, I prefer lead pastor. And is this your first lead pastorate or? Technically, it's my second. Okay. Because the one yeah. back in uh, in, the in Yorkshire, yeah. Was a 10-month yeah. lead pastorate. Yeah, correct. So, and you don't have the benefit because we joke on this podcast about lead being a generous title. We just normally classify ourselves as only pastor, but you actually have pastoral staff that work with you, right? Yeah, I have two two pastoral staff that were just district licensed last week at our assembly. And uh, ironically, actually not ironically, just God orchestrated this. All three of us have been at Mission Church in San Diego at some point. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, my, my youth, youth pastor, was one of my youth staff at that time. And then Becca, my children's pastor, children and family pastor, she grew up at Mission Church. So there's this Mission Church connection that we share um, and all, and that, that really it shows you as well that each church really is a sending church if it functions well. Yeah. They're always preparing people for kingdom impact. And you just don't know where they're going to end up. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks yeah. for that. All right, Colin. Um, next step, we're going to ask you some questions uh, that are actually more serious and not of a silly millennial uh, <laughs> disposition. I don't know. So l- let's talk more about church. While we don't put a whole lot of stock into the millennial stereotypes that you're going to read in headlines. We do think there's something very valid about observing, um, monitoring, evaluating, whatever you want to call it, uh, the exodus of our generation from church. Um, if you're, if you're new to the show, then you may not know, uh, but Pew Research Barna, a whole bunch of good um, researching outlets have basically shared that the millennial generation may be the first generation that a majority, once they were able to make the decision, have left the church, have left faith communities. And we feel like that's something worth talking about, which is kind of at the heart of this whole podcast of why we want to have these conversations. Um, I am a pastor. Byron has been a pastor. And we've kind of been on both sides of that that conversation and had some of these meaningful uh, dialogues, sometimes internal struggles. So we like to afford our guests the chance to kind of maybe explain some of the reasons they're still a part of this thing called church, um, but also explain what church is. So 
So, so yeah, the, the, one of the best ways to start that conversation, though, is to <laughs> ask point blank, Colin, what do you think, in your own words, what is the church? Hmm. The, the church in its best expression is one of the avenues of God's redeeming work and missional work in the world when it's at its best. But even when it's at its worst, somehow, I've, I often say this when I, when I pray before preaching, I'll say, God, speak through me or speak in spite of me, <laughs> but please speak. <laughs> um, and similarly, you could say, God, God works through us in spite of us, <laughs> but we know that he uses ordinary people and ordinary life for extraordinary purposes at times. And that's, that's really what the church is about, <laughs> in my opinion. So then the follow-up to that would be, given the, the stats, you are kind of abnormal. Not only have you not left, but you have instead decided to lead the church. So mm. it's kind of a two-part question. Why are you still a part of it? And to add to that, have you ever considered leaving for any reason? Um, I kind of have to go pretty far back to really unpack this. Um, my parents were, my, none of my family uh, are in the church. And uh, when I was about three, my parents were married in the Nazarene church in Lisburn. And when I was about three years old, uh, they started sending me to Caravan, uh, which is, uh, you know, a uniform organization in the church. And it's just fun for kids. And so I grew up going to Caravan on Friday nights and then over time went to Sunday school, which was at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Um, grew up doing that. And when I got to about the age of 12, my, my mom basically said, you know, you, you've got a choice. You can keep going or you can, you know, do whatever. And naturally, you know, I'm 12. I'm inquisitive. I want to do things with my friends and spend more time hanging about outside. So I, I said, I'm not going to go back anymore. And what ended up happening was I went, I was about 14, 15, and a friend invited me for a game of pool. And do you call it billiards? I think you do. Do you? Uh, it depends. There's, pool, there's, there's places that are called billiards bars, I suppose, okay. but I grew pool up calling works, it pool. Though. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it was a game of pool. And so I, I went on, and it turned out it was at Lisburn Nazarene Church. It was at the youth club, youth group on a Saturday night. And next thing I knew, I, I was befriended by the leader, Edward and his wife, Deborah, they were volunteer youth ministry leaders. And uh, next thing I, I know, I'm in their house every, every week on a Tuesday night, spaghetti bolognese and guitar lessons. Uh, and this friendship grew. And if I could, if I'd had this in my, my vocabulary, then I would have known it was discipleship. Hmm. Now I have it. and I can reflect and say they were discipling me. And so I don't have, unlike many people who have left the church, I didn't grow up going to church so much as I went to some of the auxiliary things. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't immersed in the kind of the mechanics and the going through the flow and all that kind of stuff and worship wars and all that, that crazy stuff. So um, for me, I'm still in the church. I think in part because I came to it at a point when I was seriously just wanted to get off the fence and make a decision with my life. Hmm. Uh, and so when I was 15, I still remember I came to Christ, not, not 
purely for salvation, but partly because of the fear of eternal damnation and hell. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, you, you, as you said, I'm on the cusp of millennial uh, uh, status, really. But I'm old enough to remember the hellfire and brimstone preaching, yeah, and the revivals and different things. And so I don't know. I, in some ways, I, I really do count my blessings. It, it was a blessing that I wasn't forced as a kid to go to church every Sunday, or didn't that I didn't not have the option. Um, so yeah, so I'm still there. Um, still in the church. Uh, of course, there were struggles. Uh, when I went to college, there were, I had friends that didn't go to church. Um, and they wanted me to go out, you know, and, and party hard and do all those good things. And I still remember, um, quite honestly, I remember being probably 19 or 20. And, uh, I, I went out on a Saturday night with some friends and clearly had consumed too much of a liquid and the next, <laughs> Which you the could next do at morning over there right that's correct yeah yeah you should probably point that out for your listeners um, <laughs> it wasn't illegal and i remember sunday morning waking up and i had in the middle of the night i had vomited and it really didn't smell good and never does i suppose but it really smelled worse than normal and i you know i just i felt really stupid for want of a better term and so then i um i remember going to church that morning Church was at 11.30. That's why I was able to make it. So, um, and so I got there. And I just remember Deborah, Edward's wife. Um, so I was running the sound, soundboard. And she sat next to me. And I could hear her sniffing next to me. And when I turned and our eyes met, I just felt, I didn't feel judgment. That that's not what I'm saying. I just felt like, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? Why am I trying so hard to live in two worlds? So, my experience of the church and my reasons for staying are are really quite simple. It's I came at a later point. I wasn't subjected to you must come to church. You must do this. You must do. I didn't have that. It was a free will choice for me. Um, and I think my my realization at that point that I needed to surrender all to Christ was significant enough that I from that point on, I never looked back. And so I have There hasn't been a point since then where I thought, oh, I need to get, I need to leave the church. I got to get out of here. You know. Hmm. Interesting. So, well, it's good because you're a pastor now, and that'd be rough. <laughs> it, it would be com- complicated. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so with all of that in mind, um, part of the reasons why we started this podcast is to hear stories, but we've also talked about some of our grievances with the church. We hopefully with a twist of like how we can fix some of those things and do better in the future. Um, but we want to know, what do you love most about the church? Oh. That's one of those questions where, on the one hand, I my mind thinks locally to the church. Because, you know, as a pastor, you don't get to go to other churches. Yeah. <laughs> You're always in the same one. That's true. Um, uh the church big C I love that we get to participate in what God is already doing in the world. We, we are invited lovingly and graciously to participate in what God is doing in the world. Locally. I love, I love being able to watch people journey from a place of, at best, 
um, curiosity about faith all the way through to, to believers baptism to being elected to the church board to 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 seeing that that light that spark in their eye when they realize I can I'm a minister I minister for God I am Christ's hands and feet I have a part to play in this ongoing story uh, of our local church and of the bigger church picture um, so I think that's yeah for the large church it's the fact it's the fact that we get to participate in what God is doing and for the local church it would be that I get to watch parishioners of mine on this journey uh, of faith. It's a real privilege. That's, yeah. Nice. That's a cool question. So then the flip side, do you think there's some uh, fixing that needs doing within the church? You know, I fixing is a dangerous word <laughs> in some respects. Well, um, we could change the word, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I, th- the church has has become extremely comfortable. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, and I th- so actually, this is it's good good question. Let's let's go this way. Um, growing up as a, in my late teens, new Christian, and uh, my home church Monday night was prayer meeting night, and I would go to prayer meeting on a Monday night, and the pr- it was a prayer that I would hear every week and it went something along the lines of please lord send the people in to hear your word send the people in bring the people to us um at the time i just took that as well that's that's what we pray um over the years as i've studied theology as i've attempted to live out theology and my understanding of who god is and who i am in christ i've realized that the church has become so focused on this model of, well, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and then it was, if you develop enough programs, they'll come. And then if it was, you, if you have the most popular music, they will come. Music. If you, if your building looks pristine, they'll come. If, you know, if your sign is led, they'll come. <laughs> if you have, you know, there's just so many different things. And the reality is people, I just think on a very basic level, if I was not part of the church, it would take a lot for me just to wander into a church one Sunday morning or one Wednesday night. And yet the amazing thing here in Lakewood is I have that happen quite often Hmm. where someone just wanders into our church. Uh, It's incredible. But we, the church really you're trying to, it's like trying to turn the Titanic, you know, Titanic hit that iceberg and the rest is history. But the church is a huge mechanism, a huge thing that that can't just be changed overnight. It has taken many hundred uh, to get to this place where we are struggling with, okay, well, what is this? Is this just an, is it a club? Um, You could get into a whole conversation about membership, for instance. People don't don't necessarily gravitate to the idea of membership nowadays because the membership of a gym the membership of a gym doesn't mean you're going to go there frequently. <laughs> membership of Costco doesn't mean you know the membership doesn't have the same meaning that it did. Um, I prefer to use the, the the title partner in ministry. Mm-hmm. When someone comes into membership in a church, I say you're becoming a partner of ministry. This is your church home. You're committed to serving here. So I, I think just fundamentally we just need to continue to 
I firmly believe that I need to live what I want to lead. And what I want to lead is a life that is holistically lived for Christ, not just two days a week. <laughs> uh, and not just, you know, I even sometimes people have a checklist, like have I have I done this this week? Have I talked to someone about Christ this week? Have I prayed for someone? Checklists are helpful, but sometimes they're unhelpful. You know, have I met my quota? Um, and so I think it really is important that we live what we seek to lead. And what, what I hope most pastors are wanting to lead is a spirit-led revolution whereby the church becomes less about our accumulation and, and less about populating the building and more about populating heaven. Hmm. Um, I think that's what I would say. Okay, yeah. so based on that, then I mean, there's a there's a term for that. I know we've discussed this a little bit, but you know that term is missional living, having a different way of yeah. how like being called by Christ means that we do things a little differently, and it's not just the old idea of like, well, we don't smoke, we don't use tobacco, we don't swear, we don't go to movies, we don't dance, all those the mm-hmm. lists. Again, it's another list, but missional yeah. living has a lot more to it. So, can you go expand on that? Like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you really talking about? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, at the very outset, you, you, you realize that God, our God, the creator and sustainer of all things, he is a God of mission. He pursues us. He, he's always pursuing us. And we are created in his image. We are created to be relational as he is relational within the, the Trinity. Um, the big word, of course, is perichoresis. Learned that years ago. Yikes. Um, you must have a graduate degree. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the joke yeah. is that me and Byron don't. So if you say big words, you have to explain them. Oh, yeah. Peri- perichoresis is really, it's the mutual love that the Trinity shares. This, the mutual uh, indwelling. Um, I just, I like it because it's, it's, it's a good summary it's a good, easy one-word summary for how God is relational in and of himself. And if we're created in the image of this God, then we must be relational. We, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Let me put it that way. Got it. Um, that, that's, that's just not, not a thing. Um, but missional living, I, I've, I've really, and like I said, I think for me, my, my heart for missional living is oftentimes driven by what I've seen in the past. Uh, it's a reaction to that. It's, you know what, I really don't want to, I don't want to sit here and pray for God to bring people in because I'm not sure that's what he really wants me to do. And I'm not sure that's the most effective way to populate heaven um, <laughs> and to transform lives. So missional living for me, uh, the, the emphasis that I'm currently in the, in the middle of began last fall when I was preaching a series uh, loosely based on a book uh, called The Art of Neighboring. And what I wanted to do, our church is located right in the middle of the neighborhood. I mean, there, I'm sitting in my office right now. I'm looking around. There are houses everywhere. We, we're we right in the middle of the neighborhood. And uh, I just thought, well, do we even, do we know our neighbors? What is What does it mean to be a good neighbor? Because before you know who your neighbor is, you need to understand how to be a good neighbor yourself. And 
So kind of basing it all on the story of the Good Samaritan and t- building upon that, I shared with my people from this book, I think it's uh, one of the guys was called Runyon, Dave Runyon, one of the authors. Um, but this, this book really deals with some of the key issues, like the fear factor. Well, I, I don't know if I could talk. What if my neighbor is a mass murderer? You know, I, these are just genuine fears and there's more exaggerated fears. Um, the time barrier, you know, well, I'm busy. I'm working all day. I get home. I can't go and start talking to my neighbor or offer to mow their lawn. And then there's, you know, motives matter. So you're worried about, well, if I go over to my neighbor and say, here's some cookies, they're going to wonder why. Um, and so we, we tend to not be good neighbors and reach out based on unfounded fears, if you like. Um, and I'll give you, and for example, I live in a parsonage. It's right next to the church. And I know two of my three neighbors. Um, the third one that I don't know, I don't know them because I can't catch them. <laughs> they drive in, their garage is uh, underneath their, their house. And so they drive in there. So when they drive out, it's kind of like watching Knight Rider. Are you guys old enough to remember Knight Rider with David Hasselhoff? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kind of, like here comes here comes Kit coming out of the anyway. So, but I can't get I, I, I literally can't get to these people because they 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 drive in, get out of the vehicle, it's angling, and then they get back in the vehicle and come out again. So I, it's hard. Um, but my other two neighbors, I've gotten to know pretty good, and uh, in fact, one of them, just a couple of weeks ago, I ended up in his yard, chatting, and they were having a big family get together for one of their kids' birthdays and. And I'm I'm hoping to collaborate with him to do a block party this Fourth of July. Uh, he's a pyromaniac. He has lots of fireworks. So, you know, I, it, it's very it's it's it takes intentionality. You know, my conversation with with him, his name's Chris. My conversation started through him just signing for a UPS package for me, and I'd never even talked to him before. But he came running across the street. Hey, here's a package for you. I signed for it, uh, and so he was the one that reached out first, actually, in that regard. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he did. You know, the relationship's been growing for over two years. Um, but then the other, what I'm about to do once we've celebrated the resurrection of our Lord this Sunday is uh, a little book that was pushed at our recent assembly, Josiah. You, I'm sure you've already bought it. Um, yeah. Surprise the World, uh, yeah. The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. Um, this is, so I, I'm, I'm really wanting to put myself in an uncomfortable place to, so that I can grow. Um, so I'm, I don't do well with lists. I don't like lists because I focus on what I don't get done off the list. And I don't celebrate what I did get done. Uh, I just, I'm hard on myself when it comes to lists. Um, but Michael Frost has some really great points in here. Uh, he talks about uh, blessing, some, blessing three people a week, eating with three people a week, listening to three people a week, learning Christ, which I think is critical we really need to learn Christ and then remembering that we are sent ones. Um, so I'm going to be preaching a, a probably a four Sunday series here coming up on this, uh, on giving my, my congregation practical examples of how we can be intentionally missional mm-hmm. and missional doesn't mean you go up to someone and say, Hey, you're my mission. My <laughs> mission is to get you to come to my church and to become a walk and talk in Jesus inside a month. That's so not you mean. You're not going to be promoting the, the, the bullhorn approach to evangelism. 
No, I'm not. You know, I <laughs> part of the thing as well. Growing up in Northern Ireland, um, I experienced a lot of open air preaching. Um, you know, Saturday afternoon in the middle of the town, people with megaphones and huge sandwich boards, placards, um, telling me I was going to hell. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you what, I had a flashback because one of my congregants took me to a Seahawks game. Yeah. Uh, two falls ago, like November of 17, I think it was. And the Seahawks play what sport? What what sport do they play? They play American football in oh, tights okay. and helmets. <laughs> and so, um, no, they're, they're good. Actually, I really enjoy watching them. But uh, got got outside the stadium there at CenturyLink in Seattle, and, and there's a guy with this sandwich board and his, his megaphone, and he's just going at it. He's yelling. And, and uh, I, just, I just remember thinking to myself, how how is this productive? And <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sure someone will be upset with my judgment of it, and that's okay. We all have an opinion, but I just don't think that that's an effective way to t- communicate to people the gospel. The gospel doesn't begin in Genesis three; it begins in Genesis one and two. Hmm. And so, so often Genesis three and focus on how sinful and awful people are, and I depravity is an important factor in this I and mean, yes we need christ but let's go to the point where god created and he saw that we were very good and he walked with us in the garden i mean we got to understand this start with the good news so and it, then share what happened yeah go ahead i was gonna say it seems like people are rooted in you know either let's do because you already said this the country club uh yeah the country club mentality which maybe that could be um I don't know, akin to saying not missional at all, but you come to us. If if you build it, they will come. Not really even a little well, bit missional. It's not even just you come to us. It's you come to us if we accept you because country clubs have rules and they don't always let everybody in. Absolutely. They're exclusive. Right. So the church well, has become yeah, exclusive yeah. and that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, have, you, have you ever heard of the illustration about the duck church? I, I don't have it memorized well, but yeah, there's an yeah, illustration a, about a duck church. It's from a book that I recently read. Oh. There you go. But oh. yeah, so that, that's a good one. Check it out. But the other thing I was going to say uh, last week uh, at our assembly, Dr. Crocker was sharing about um, our district has got this new logo. Uh, what was it? Oh, Josiah, you have to help me. Uh, belong, believe, behave become become so because it's a shift go ahead it's a shift it's a shift you start with belonging yeah because once upon a time not so long ago maybe yesterday even we were more concerned with the behave being the start thing or the believe being the first thing like believe right the the prerequisite for our particular type of country club was you can come here but before you get here you have to believe the right things and, right. and so the distinct shift is that, no, we just want people to feel like they can belong first, which very much confronts the the, the general country club mentality um, because they don't want everyone to belong. They have you have to fit a certain bill or a certain, you know, appearance or, or, or whatever yeah. firsthand. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's right. And I, and I recently. Um, this is uh, an illustration that people who know me will not be surprised by. Uh, I recently found a Manchester United supporters club in West Seattle. <laughs> and I've gone up there to watch a couple of games with them. And um, So wait, what sport uh, is that? That's football. <laughs> and 
So I can't help it. I'm sorry. If, if I if I was to walk in there with a Liverpool shirt on, um, I, I the lack the fact that I'm not believing in Man U and I'm wearing a different team's jersey uh, would prevent me from ever belonging. Um, and to to tell you how real this is, my one of my friends Eddie came with me. He is a Liverpool fan, but he actually wore a Manchester United shirt. Ooh. And came with me, and so I would contest he's not a real Liverpool fan then, not die hard because <laughs> he wouldn't do that. So you know, but the church is not like that. You know, we we it's a different kind of animal, and yet we do sometimes expect people to, you know, believe and think everything that we think and everything that we believe and act the same way we act before they can really belong. And the reality is, they need to belong first. And and you know, I have I have uh, another na- neighbor, a um, couple doors up, who is in recovery, and talks to me about it all the time. He's very open. He told me on the first Sunday of this year, Pastor, I'm going to be here every Sunday this year. And I looked him dead in the eye. I said, Garrett, I, I, I would, if I were you, I'd hesitate to make that promise. <laughs> and I don't, and I, and also, I don't want you to be thinking that your salvation is dependent upon your 100% attendance rate here at the church. Um, so we've been journeying together. I'm happy that I have a relationship with him where he talks to me. He is belonging in our church. People love him and they welcome him. He's not behaving yet. He really isn't behaving yet. He's kind of funny. He's kind of goofy at times. But he's not behaving in a Christ-like way per se. But I see a generosity in him. I see the image of God in him. I see that he cares about people. I see that when I was shoveling snow a couple of months ago, and it was pretty bad in our, our car park, he came over and helped me shovel the snow. I didn't ask him to do that, but he was compelled to help me. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's an example of someone who's belonging first. This is his church. If you ask him, this is his church. He's not behaving the way he, he should uh, you know, he's not he's not as committed as some other people might be, but he belongs first. And one day, by the grace of God, he will come to a place where he'll be baptized and he'll come to a place where his life is totally surrendered to Christ. And he'll do things and accomplish things for the kingdom that you and I couldn't because each person is unique and we each can reach certain kinds of people in certain different situations. So, you know, I, I really believe that the shift to belonging first is the key. And yet... I still sometimes have this voice in the back of my head, um, the legalistic voice saying, well, you know, but, but they really should stop doing this first or they really should. <laughs> like, I still hear that. I still hear well, cause that. Cause it's programmed into you. Right. 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 Cause, cause so, that's kind of the church that even though you're slightly older than us, I feel like that's what we were raised in was this. You have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, take off your hat, stand up, sit down, turn around, you know, all that stuff at the right times and yeah. to do anything other than that was, was deemed misbehaving. So I guess right. my question, my question back to you then basically, especially with this concept of belonging, uh, I would, I would hope to see belonging, not just be a, once they come into the building, they belong sort of a thing, but mm-hmm. maybe in your own, in your own words, in your own, as you're processing this stuff, especially after our recent district assembly, this countercultural nature of living out the Great Commission, like all the stuff you're talking about is not just pie in the sky pulled out of nowhere. 
obviously this is deeply rooted in what the Bible says, specifically in the Gospels. So how do you see um, the mission of living, if you want to call it, or living out the Great Commission or, you know, just the mission of the church? How do you see that tied directly in a, in a practical sense with this belonging thing? What does that actually look like? You know, it's okay as a pastor. I read this somewhere recently to say sometimes I don't know. Um, <laughs> Fair. I, I, I think there's a certain level of health to it because if we don't say that, then we out of pressure and out of a feeling that we need to be successful and the merits that we determine success by, or the, the, the metrics we determine success by, of course, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but for me, you posted something on your page uh, yesterday or the day before about what will happen, you know, if we if we always if we end up having bivocational pastors, if we, you know, and no one is full time anymore, or whatever. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but bottom line is the church is changing, um, and if the church doesn't change, it's 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 going to die um, in in this context. But I think we need to become more embracing, just tied to the belonging, but more embracing of our communities around us. Now, depending on where the churches are located, that can be difficult. When I was in San Diego, uh, we were right by the 8th Freeway. Um, we were in an industrial area. So it didn't, I mean, we didn't have neighbors per se. Here, I have a lot of neighbors. But what I do is I, I don't like to study in my office. I just, I need to study with headphones on, but with people around. Hmm. And so I, I go to the local coffee shop and I kid you not, the coffee shop I go to is a major chain. I'm I'm sorry I can't find a nice little European Italian place, but um, <laughs> it's a major chain. And when I go in there, sometimes I, I'll, I'll meet parishioners there. No joke, there'll be six or seven baristas, and uh, one by one, hey Colin, hi Colin, hey Colin, morning Colin, hey Colin, top of Tim Martin, Colin. Or that, you know, they, <laughs> top of- they know me, um, and 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 when 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 a district assembly, Dr. Crocker shared that he played the Cheers theme song. Um, before he got up to speak, you know, I want to go where everybody knows my name. Um, I have found life and joy in just putting myself out there in the community, whether it's coaching my, my daughter's soccer team the past two seasons or going to events, um, going to the coffee shop. I get to know people. And, I, and what I find is, you know, I go to a barber shop that's all African-American barbers, and I love the way they cut my hair. But more importantly, I love that when I'm in there, I'm the only white person. I'm the only person that wasn't born in this country. I'm the only one who doesn't know what they're talking about sometimes <laughs> because they're talking like they're talking basketball and different things. And yet I remember the first time I went in, they said, oh, yeah, Sons of Anarchy. I went, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> like I, but that's when they heard where I was from, that's where they went to with it. And so because you're, you're part of the IRA because you're Colin I, Duffy. I don't know, but uh, that show know, actually has a, a storyline that's all about the IRA. Oh, dear. Well, so that that might be the connection. <laughs> well, maybe. But I so just to, just to give you an, to give you an example of this belonging thing. What is it that makes uh, a barista? Her name is Friday. What is it that makes Friday come up to me in the coffee shop? and poke my shoulder and I take my headphones off and she begins to share uh, a need for prayer. Uh, she's having issues with her hearing and various other things. And she, she shares with me that she would really covet my prayers. She didn't use that word, of course. 
And then um, another example would be at the barber shop a couple of months ago. Jamil is cutting my, he's trimming my beard uh, as only he can. And uh, he's on the phone. And this is, this is fairly typical. These guys, they'll answer the phone. They'll do whatever. They'll eat their lunch while they're cutting your hair. They don't care. That's and awesome. so he's on the phone and it becomes clear. I know that he lost both of his parents. He's in his mid-20s. Both his parents died. He's fighting to keep his younger brother under his care. Um, he's got a lot of stuff going on. And his aunt, for whatever reason, she's on the phone with him, arguing with him. Uh, it turns out that she sold a bunch of his high school stuff, like relics, trophies, like we talked about earlier. Some things that really meant a lot to him, like a Letterman jacket, stuff like that. She sold it all uh, without telling him. Uh, had an yeah, estate it's... sale at his parents' house. And so I can see him getting increasingly distressed in this phone call. And so I, as he's finished, he says, sorry, I've been on the phone the whole time. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, Jamil, I'm going to pray for you before I pull away from here today. And I let him go on with his phone call. Two weeks ago, before this assembly, I went back in for another cut. And he said, you know, I really appreciate you praying for me that day. Here's what's been going on. Um, to me, belonging doesn't necessarily mean that they even come into the church where I serve. But belonging means that when they feel like they have a need or something is insurmountable and they want prayer, they're asking me. Hmm. And, you know, my, my church is, if you like, my church is functioning through me and through my other members who are out in the community loving people. Um, so I think the belonging act, actually, ironically, starts outside, not inside. Interesting. Maybe. So, so we, we often wrap up the show with a final thought or maybe kind of a what would you suggest for those listening to do? And for, for, for this episode, I'm going to put this, put this question on you to ponder while we do what's called the Share the Love sponsorship um, on our podcast. Uh, but basically, what would you suggest? Maybe, maybe you have a listener out there that's uh, another pastor, a young pastor. Maybe it's just a lay person. Maybe it's someone on a board. What is one small, simple, incremental step a church could take to not be living into the country club style of ministry your church existence and take a step towards that missional living that you're talking about ponder that while we share the love real quick and in today's share the love sponsor is not going to be a normal one again because i guess we're not a normal podcast and i didn't really ask byron if this was going to be cool with him or not so tough byron but basically in in light of this uh this line of discussion i think it would be appropriate for us to to simply say that on today's podcast, we want want our listeners to consider what it means to share the love themselves with their neighbor. Maybe it's an actual literal neighbor. I mean, it's it's really crazy to me that you can live next to a person for countless years and maybe never have even met them. So maybe it's like the literal neighbor next door that you have never just said hi to and not with, you know, an agenda, but just to simply live into this belonging relational uh, lifestyle. But on today's episode, we would just we would just say I think it's probably important for us to not just be hyping certain groups of people or or be saying hey let's lift up this group or let's let's say this group is more important, but to simply say that as the church, but also just as like decent human beings, we are called to treat other people the way we want to be treated and to love our neighbors. So I think it would be appropriate for us to to simply just share the love by saying actually love your neighbors, be challenged to know their name, to maybe even understand what makes them tick. So that's our share the love sponsor for today. It's your neighbor, uh, Colin. Yes. Any any final thoughts? 
You know, I think where um, not every week when I preach, but quite often I'll, there's two questions I'll ask my people as I'm wrapping up the sermon. One of them is, you know, what is God saying to you today? What is he saying to you through his word, through the songs, through prayer? And the second question is, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Um, and I, I think, and I often talk about, you know, where the rubber meets the road, when it comes to real life, that's where your faith matters. That's where your walk with Christ matters. It's not when you're in church on a Sunday and you're with all the people that are comfortable saying Jesus and hallelujah and all these things. It's whenever you're out in, in the real, well, yeah, the real world, and <laughs> people don't use that lingo, and people have real problems. There's cancer. There's loss of jobs. There's broken relationships. There's financial stress. There's all kinds of stuff out there. And really, it ties in with what you were just saying. One very simple step is to take a look around. Even if you're a, if you're a stay-at-home parent, there are groups you can be a participant in. There are play groups. There are uh, community groups where you can go and you can just be present with people, get to know people, and be and, and your your presence can be a healing presence, as long as you're sensitive to the spirit's leading. And and so I really I think honestly what I would encourage people to do is to first of all ask God to reveal to you, uh, to make a to to reveal to you in a new way those opportunities that you've been just walking straight past, uh, people that you've you could have had a conversation with, people that you could have shared. Um, love with by by helping them or by blessing them maybe a co-worker that's lost a loved one and and they're hurting and really all they need is someone is to sit and listen I, I think that when we the scripture says pray without ceasing that doesn't mean that you drive with your eyes shut or you walk around you walk through the cafeteria at your workplace with your eyes shut so you can pray you you pray with your eyes open god will still hear and 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 when you pray and when you're constantly asking the lord to lead you he will give you opportunities that could become eternally significant for the person that you're talking to, for the person that you're loving and you're being a neighbor to. Uh, and so really it's just being open, opening yourself to what God wants to do in your heart and through your faithfulness and obedience. So step out of the comfort zone that may be country club church. T- yeah. Take the, the faith is not, it's easy to live it inside the building. <laughs> but when, when I've, I've told people, you, you've got to taste, I can't, I can't do it for you. You've got to taste the joy and the fulfillment that comes from sharing God's love with someone. From seeing friendship start to blossom and someone actually recognize in you something that isn't of your making. It's who God has made you to be. Um, and for them to be drawn to Christ through your faithfulness and obedience. Hey, Byron. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have uh, any outsider looking at, I mean, I call you an outsider. You're not really an outsider, but as a former pastor, not current pastor, what's, what's a final thought? How do we kill country club church? I think we continue to just be counter to our culture. Like the, and I mean church culture in this, this regard, um, continually call people out and in a loving way, don't, you know, I mean, there's ways to do it the right way. Find new ways to, to 
to let people know, hey, we have to get out. Like this is not this building is not what God has intended for the kingdom. And so and that as a as a lay person, I said this before in the podcast, don't expect your pastor to do all the work because that's not their job. Um, they do they do work, but you're required to do work too. You're part of the kingdom builders. So find new ways to reach people. And it might start just like what you said with your neighbor. Find ways to get out of your building and just tell people that you love them. And they're going to be like, why? And you're going to say, because of Christ. Because it doesn't make sense in our culture to love people we don't know. But take care of somebody. Help somebody. I've always told, like, in youth groups and stuff, whenever I talk to kids, like, the best way, I think, to start this process to change how we think about people, because that's, that's the biggest thing. We have to change how we think, too, um, is to mm-hmm. hold doors for people. When you're going into a coffee shop, when you're going into anything, any kind of place where a door is not automatic, hold it for them. And then wait. Just like, And then, you know, like, some people will actually get upset at you for doing this just because they're like, oh, no, I have to rush, which they don't. But like, yeah. but like, it helps us to learn new ways to treat people. Like instead of talking bad about strangers, we don't know, like, cause based on what they're, the way they dress or, you know, their race or whatever it might be. Some stereotype. <laughs> yeah. Like we realize like, or, or if it's old, if they're old or young or whatever it might be, we realize, Hey, I'm just going to hold this door for this person because they're a person and I can do that. That's a very simple thing to do. But that helps us to begin to change how we approach the world. And we learn that people are people. We're all flawed, but we all need love. And I'm here right now, so why can't I love this person? Because God's mm-hmm. called us to love. And like uh, we were talking about earlier, when you talk about Genesis, <clears throat> when Colin was talking about Genesis, you know, it's like we jump to three so often. But to understand that my neighbor or the person that I see in the community who could use some help or that person whose car is clearly broken down on the side of the road, and I pull over to help them out real quick. They were created by God in his in image, image. And, and God right. said it was good. So yeah. I don't care what they're into. They could be a drug addict. They could be, they could have done some terrible things in their life. I don't care. They're still a creation of God and they're still worth that redemption. And if maybe they don't ever, they've never experienced redemption through God because no one's given them the time of day. And that's our job. That's what we're here to do. So, I mean, we have to change our thinking, though. The country club church idea is not just, uh, oh, this is just how we do it. It's it's an, like, uh, I was trying to say how, it's it's a virus. I'll say it that way. <laughs> it has infected our church. Yeah. It has made us think, I'm going to build up our walls. We're going to get better walls around here, and we're going to keep the world out. I don't want that nasty world in here. And that's... Mm really poisoned a lot of people's minds in the church about how to be like Christ to the point that I don't think we even understand what the gospels are. And, you know, just to let everybody know, we're recording this on good Friday. Like tonight, I'm assuming most of us are going to be going, I'm actually going to be preaching tonight, which is kind of interesting. I haven't preached in a while. I'm going to help my, my buddy asked me to help and preach a little bit at his church. So I'm going to be part of the service. I'm excited about that. But like, we're celebrating a terrible event tonight so we can truly look at what Sunday is and say, like, and, and experience and understand the redemption that Christ has given us. Not because we mm-hmm. earned it. We don't deserve it. We never have. But it was given to us anyway. Mm-hmm. And our neighbors deserve that same thing. Like, they didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. 
but we're called to show them that and give it to them anyway. So we have to change how we approach people and what we do with our lives. Really. It's a big, it's a, it's a huge change though. Yeah. It's a lot to it. I think we could spend less time trying to disqualify others from grace and put in more effort trying to introduce them to it so that they can receive it as well. So food for thought guys, Colin, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's really good. Thank you for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with our silliness, but also for giving us a lot (laughs) of great stuff to consider and think about. Sure. You're welcome. All right. Well, if you're, if you're new to the show, consider subscribing. Thanks for listening. Consider engaging with us in these conversations on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And maybe even consider reviewing or rating the show if you think it warrants it so that others might stumble across these great stories of millennials who are still in ministry doing things to help the church be vibrant, be full of passion, be full of God's grace and redemption. Um, but as always, if you, if you like hearing about what millennials are doing, or if you like hearing the faith-based work they're doing within culture, like, like maybe we'll call Colin a millennial today, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastors Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.